Hey everyone, welcome to the Fit CFO Show. I'm Amanda Hanquist, and together with my husband, Sean, we wanted to create this podcast so that our audience could learn from some of the industry's best fitness professionals and to also give online entrepreneurs a place to learn financial success. We have years of experience in the fitness industry and specialize in finance. Together, we hope to bring you the best of both worlds. We'll be releasing a new episode every single Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications because you don't want to miss a thing. Sean and I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Brad Jensen. Brad has an incredible story that has led him to becoming nine years sober. Since then, he has created the amazing nutrition coaching company called Key Nutrition out of Salt Lake City, Utah. And now he has a two-year-old son, Dominic. I can't wait for you to hear his life-changing story. I hope it impacts you as much as it has me. Let's welcome Brad to the show. Well, thanks for being on today. I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're a busy guy. So you stood out to me because, so I met Brad, I don't even know, I'm going to throw a number out there, what, three, four years ago at uh, like a, I don't even know what you call it, mentorship, um, kind of business summit, whatever we're calling it, and mastermind, there we go. And I'll be honest, like at first glance, you were so intimidating to me. You were like, you're this big, huge ripped dude with tattoos. And and I was, you know, a little intimidated, but you are so down to earth and super funny. And I am really glad that we met and got to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Well, thank you. I love, I love when people, I'm like, yes, I still got it. I'm so little, like intimidating until they get to know me and they're like, oh, this dude's a clown. That's a good thing. That's a good thing though. Yeah, it is a good thing. Dude, I, I absolutely love your story too. Like the first time we met and getting to know you and how you opened up and I mean, your story's amazing and you have a great business. It's just super awesome to even know you. So appreciate you well, coming thank on. You. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get into it. (laughs) So when we first, when we first met, you were not yet a father. So I'm curious to know how your life as Brad, before being a dad has changed to now being a dad. Mm, It's changed a lot. Um, You know, I always wanted to be a dad. I just, didn't know if it was going to be in the cards for me because it was never like, uh, you know, I never had any girl call me and be like, you know, the other weekend. No, never. Like, it just <laughs> never happened, right? And, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I'm super grateful for it. Like, you know, I know that some people, not sure, don't really maybe care or not sure they want to be a dad. And then they get thrust in the situation and they're like, how did I live with that, without this? Um, that just wasn't my story. I always wanted to be a dad. And, um it's, it's crazy now that he's here. I'm just like, wow, what would it, like, how, how was my life without him? Right. Yeah. And so kids are amazing. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a great blessing. And, you know, me and his mom are not together, but we have a great co-parenting relationship. I would say we probably are better friends now than maybe even when we were married, which was the problem, right? You should be sure. best friends with your spouse. Cause a lot of times you want to kill them, but if there's that at the end of the, you know, and, um, and I'm really, and it's hard, you know, cause I, I have them like this split schedule and it's not 50, 50 yet, but, uh, but it will be in a couple of years and, um, just really grateful when I have them though, it kind of rocks, but it rocked my world at first. I like, couldn't 
Like he just owned my world and today sure. is better. Like I'm getting used to it. Like, yeah, but, um, it's, well, you can't just you know, be like, Hey, Dominic, I'm going to need you to chill out here. I got to go to the gym. I mean, yeah, I mean, things yeah. are a little different now. <laughs> can't do a thing for himself. I'm like, can you do something? <laughs> you must have to, um, it's, uh, but it's awesome. You know, it forced me to, you know, the weeks I have him, um, I slow down a lot and, uh, I, I struggle with ever prioritizing like boundaries within business and, you know, and, yeah. um, and he's been such a blessing that way. Cause it's forced me to slow down. And, um, and guess what? Like that fear of slowing down that like somehow it was going to make less money and my business was going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, it's actually like increased, which, um, I would have been happy if it just kind of stayed the same, but it just, it's been such a, such a learning lesson to show that it's just not all about like the grind all the time. Like, in fact, taking some steps back has allowed me to operate more efficiently in the hours that I do work. So, well, I think it becomes a little more black and white, like number one, you become more relatable because you're a parent, you know, and number two, the time that you do have available for your business, you've got to use it. You can't waste it because you know, you have to be dad when you're around Dominic. So it's, I mean, it's black and white. So it's yeah, awesome. So, yeah, I feel like I've been a parent forever. So <laughs> Sean and I have been, yes, have been, we have been, we have a 16 year old and a five year old. Now I'm the oldest shit before all the kids are out of the house. <laughs> yeah. We crack up. Wow. We were talking about how last year we were like potty training and teaching how to drive like in the same day. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate yeah. how your company, um, you know, Key Nutrition, I know that you started this. What year did you start Key Nutrition? Um, January of 17. Okay, 17. That's what I was thinking. But I love how it's not just about fat loss or muscle gain, but it's about feeling good in every area of your life. Um how did you, I guess, decide that you were going to create a company like this? Because I mean, honestly, like, and I love how you have, have a lot of your social media posts, like breaking down the BS on a lot of this, like the magazine covers that you do. Um, but like this does, it's not as sexy, like, you know what you're selling. And so how did you, I guess, evolve into this model? Um, I like to call it kind of like the right way of doing it. Well, thank you. I like to think so too. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started it, I, I don't think we were always about doing it the correct way. And I think that's how you learn through things, right? Like I, mm -hmm. you know, when we first started, like we were still doing like, you know, customized meal plans for people. And it was really about like getting, you know, we would get people aesthetic results. And, um, and after about a year of doing that, like just seeing these people that we died down, then they came, it just like, wasn't sticking. Right. They would come sure. back and they'd gain the weight back. And, you know, I, at that point, I was like, I don't put myself on a meal plan. I do macros. I remember one client asked me, what does your meal plan look like? I said, I wouldn't put myself on a meal plan unless I was show prepping. I don't do that. Uh, yeah. And she goes, then why are you making me? And I'm like, that's a great point. A you great know, and question. so yeah. I, I started incorporating teaching clients more macros and, um, and that's been awesome. And, in you know, with my, you know, and I can't say that all of my coaches, I, I tried to instill in them to um, to view this the way I do, which I'm going to get into. And I, I can't say that all of them do to a degree because they don't have, uh, maybe some of them haven't been through a lot in life to view. This as like a four legged mm -hmm. chair of health, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. They come into us just for the physical, 
Mm-hmm. But with my experience and what I've been through in life, I just know how, you know, the mental health and the, the emotional health and the spiritual health all play together. And that's kind of how I started modeling the coaching here. And, um, you know, for sure within my clientele, which I don't take as many clients today, but, you know, me and Cody McBroom have talked about this. Like, it's like this evolution where you're supposed to like get to a point and then you have a team and I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to like coach way less clients today than I used to, but I just like it at its core. I still love it. Maybe, maybe five years from now I won't, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's, is really implementing this model of, 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 you know, emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, and really just seeing the, uh, you know, the, the physical results have gone maybe slower that we're not doing it this strict way, but it's been so gratifying to watch people truly start to, um, evolve. I've always said, if you do this the right way, a fitness journey will be, you know, the physical results become the icing on the cake. And so that's where I've kind of tried to establish because really that's what, um, to balance on then if, then if your emotional health goes to shit too, then that starts to, and then your eating gets out of control, right? So talking about the, the four-legged chair and how, you know, emotionally it can affect so many different areas of your life. And, you know, I can definitely relate to that. And I know that so often it's not about, um, the nutrition plan or the program. Like so often it's about the why behind what we're doing. hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, you know, I used to say things like this where I'd be like, well, I don't go into that because I, that's not my lane. You know, I'm going to stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was doing people a disservice. Like I went through hell and back in my life for a reason. I believe that God had a plan for me. And if I don't share that with people and I don't have to be a therapist um, to say, Hey, like, you're not taking care of your emotional health at all. Like, what are you doing? Are you like, I have enough tactics and skills and it's just kind of like throwing spaghetti noodles and seeing what sticks on, you know, Mm -hmm. and trying different people. And when I finally, there was a limiting belief that I had that like, I'm not qualified to even remotely talk about that. And I'm like, well, you know what, if it's affecting your nutrition week after week, I should probably say something. And so, um, yeah, I started just being like, Hey, like you're kind of being a dickhead to yourself. And what are you doing for emotional mental health? Like, mm-hmm. you know, nothing like what can right. you do? So it's, it's, um, yeah. And you know what? I started loving coaching again. I was getting burnt out. I don't know how many goddamn macros and training programs I can give. You know, I've, you've seen, I think 2000 clients in my career and I'm just like, it was getting old and I was getting burnt yeah. out and I've, I've got a new love for coaching that there's some, uh, there's some weeks where with clients, I don't even know if we talk about the food sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's been cool. It's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start incorporating that aspect into your coaching model? Um, you know, a, a couple, uh, I mean, probably two or three years ago, you know, there was, uh, you know, where I met you guys at, I was part of this, this business group and, um, and that, uh, that's kind of, and I don't remember if, um, the guy who ran the group like called me out on it or if it just kind of was this epiphany i don't remember but i i think there was something brought up like hey like use your experience of what you've been through to help other people like you've overcome you know a gnarly drug addiction and you did that by focusing on your mental emotional spiritual and physical health so how can we transfer this into clients right and Mm -hmm. pull off that experience and so i think it was probably three years ago that i was like you know what i've got to start talking more about this and so um, yeah, it was probably about three years ago. I love that. 
I love that. So you recently did a video <laughs> with Sheena on um, your Instagram and you're talking about the BS. Talk to me about Sheena a little bit. How did Sheena come into the picture and how was this? And <laughs> I hope you all go to Brad's Instagram and, and see what I'm talking about because it's definitely a must. Sheena's a hot mess, you know, um, <laughs> she just says Sheena is, um, you know, it was funny, you know, how she kind of came about was, so it was, I'm trying to do the math here. Yes. Two years ago, two years ago this month, um, that I, uh, I reached out to a guy by the name of Jordan Syatt and I had Jordan Syatt on my podcast and, um, I'd reached out to him and said, I need you to coach me. And he said, on what? And I said, I need to build more brand awareness like a following mm -hmm. and um we hopped on a call and he was like what do you want it for and i'm like i don't know i just know that having four thousand instagram followers probably like one day i'm gonna need more if i want to leverage it yeah i don't even know what i i didn't care about like all the likes or like i didn't want to do it to become like an ambassador for some shitty supplement company i just knew that attention was the asset and i didn't have yep. i built a good business without much of a social media presence right so when i hired him um First off, he tore apart my content. I almost cried, but I laughed instead. It felt like the easier thing to do. He, he <laughs> we're on the call and he looks at my Instagram and he's just dead quiet. And I'm like, You there? And he's like, Yeah, this is awful. He goes, Do you have any more shirtless selfies of yourself? And I said, Oh, I just did a photo shoot. And he said, No shit, I can tell. Like, stop posting them. And he was like, Oh, this quote is horrible. Never use that quote again. It was just, it was just. He tore me apart, but I needed that, right? And yeah. he told the yep. truth. And um, as we were working together, he said, you know, one advantage you have, Brad, is you have a sense of humor. So, like, what can we do there? He said, do you do any accents? Good. And I said, I am the worst at accents. So you don't even know what it is. And I said, I can do a girl pretty good. And he was like, do that. Do that. Because he it. had a character named Kenzie. Okay. And so he um, he challenged me to do it. And so I did it thinking it would just be like a one-off thing. And then... Um, then quarantine hit and I, I lost my goddamn mind. And so Sheena was just appearing all the time. Like so Sheena, like helped, helped with that. She got me through. She's Good. a soldier. You know, what's funny is that she, she, I've had people come up to me at my gym here. This lady beelined it, which, why do they call it a beeline? It's more like just a straight, like eye line, but sure. <laughs> I just don't really understand the saying. Um, she walks up to me and I can tell she's coming. So I take out my headphone. She goes, oh my God, you're Sheena. Sheena. And I'm like, you should just wear the wig to the gym someday. Yeah. I'm like, oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she was like, oh, we love Sheena. Your other stuff's okay too, but do more Sheena. Okay. Walks away. <laughs> it was like this like backhanded compliment, but. Um, so Sheena just really like you're was, cool, but we like Sheena. Yeah. Like your shit sucks. Sheena's the best. <laughs> like was what she pretty much said. Like, I don't even follow, I follow you just for Sheena, but, um, you know, Sheena, why Sheena's appealing is, is she's literally, she is a makeup of all of my difficult clients. And yep. so many of have con yep. have commented on stuff and been like, I That's swear to God, me. you're talking about me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, it was, and it's and they're probably asking, time. "Was that me <laughs> this time?" <laughs> yes, all the time. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So, I, I saw the one where Sheena's not getting like, she's plateauing for the 14th week in a row and it's yeah. not me. It's my gluten. It's dairy. It's my genetics. It's my mom's fault. It's et cetera, et cetera. But it's not the fact that I'm going to go drink beer and eat pizza all weekend long. Yes. It's, it's all these other reasons. Yes. And, and so, like, this is real life. Like this yeah. is what I've dealt with. I work with gen pop clients. I don't work with competitors yeah. anymore. Uh-huh. That's what our company really focuses on is not performance athletes, gen pop. It's, you know, if, if you're, if you're a soccer mom, you got a couple kids like you, we want you with that right. car. And so because of that, I've, we've gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of Sheena's, you know, uh-huh. and, um, and so it's all in good fun. I do get a little heat for it sometimes. Um, but these people are just, it's just a sensitive climate. And I just, yeah. I, don't apologize. I said, I'm sorry. I actually well, I just think with anything that is, uh, outside the box, you're going to get, I mean, you're just going to get a little static for it. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's far less than I thought, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, uh, I had one lady come at me and say, oh, of course you have to just make fun of females. I said, well, I have a character named Marty, the meathead that makes fun of me. <laughs> Marty, the meathead. I did not see Marty, the meathead. I'm oh, you got to scroll, find Marty, the meathead with his weightlifting belt, his gallon jug with the BCAs, you know, he's like the planet fitness guy. Oh, yeah. uh, that was the info commercial. That was bad. Uh, yeah, there's one, oh, did yeah. you see it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm like, I don't discriminate. I'll make fun of the Marty guys the too. Meathead. That's awesome. Yeah. What Marty the me is really making fun of me early on in my lifting career. Like the guy with like the, the whole duffel bag that you could fit a human body. Gallon like, Why the jug. Yeah, gallon jug. Wrist straps on like bicep curl day, right? Chalk <laughs> at all times, just in case. Chalk. And always had a weightlifting belt on. Weight belt on for bicep every reason. Curl. Yeah. So I'm making fun of my old me. And so um, I try to diversify who I'm making fun of. Got it. Got it. I love it. Well, speaking of posts, you have a post that says that, and I love this. Um, it's a little more on a serious note, but you were told that you had a 1% chance of getting and staying sober. Um, you had a 505 credit score you had one set of clothes, a convicted felon, and you beat the odds. And then, you know, I love how you go on to say, you know, if I can do that and beat the odds, you can lose 30 pounds. Yeah. You have a super inspiring story. And I know that you've talked about it a ton on podcasts, but your handle is the sober bodybuilder. So you knew I was going to ask, um, do you mind sharing with our audience your story and how, uh, it's been almost a decade now. And first of all, I want to congratulate you because I know your anniversary date is coming up on the 20th. Um, but could you share your story with our audience a little bit and, and about your journey? Yeah. You, you know what? And you didn't just ask me to start out that way. So you already did better than a lot of guests. Someone like, we just like, hi, so tell your story. And I'm like, <laughs> like, can we just kind of like warm into it a little? Like swimming. Um, and you know what? It never gets old telling it, no matter whether I tell it on podcast platforms or um, at recovery conferences or meetings, um, you know, it reminds me because today my life looks nothing, nothing like it did nine years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, if you would have told me I would have been where I'm at today, nine years ago, I would have wanted whatever dope you are on because it was the best shit ever. Cause it would make you hallucinate a fantasy land that was never going to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, today, um, today my life is really good and you know, I, I get to show up as a dad and I've got, I've got a, a thriving business and you know, I've got, you know, love of my family members and friends and, and, um, you know, and it's, but it wasn't always like that. Right. And so, yeah. 
the point I want to get across is that, and I guess what really made me want to bring this up is the post that you did about two of the same brothers that had the same alcoholic father. One became an alcoholic because of it. One became a successful businessman because of it. And you have the opportunity to choose whatever road you want to take. And so I guess, tell your story. And then what was that ultimate point of, of turning for you? Yeah. You know, so I, you know, just kind of going, going way back. It just, you know, these things, um, don't just happen by accident. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, it wasn't really in the cards for me. If you would ask when I was in sixth grade, like, what do you want to be? And I'm like a heroin addict, please. (laughs) You know, that was not it. Right. (laughs) Never, ever thought that was going to be, I grew up in a, in a, in a middle-class, um, you know, religious family, um, in the suburb of, of Salt Lake city, Utah, um, like just didn't ever really, it wasn't because, you know, my mom was a drug addict or my dad was in prison or, Mm -hmm. um, I had a good upbringing. I became a drug addict despite how well my parents raised me. And I, and I, you know, and for a long time, I thought that was a curse, but today I know that it was, it was a blessing. It was, I believe it was my challenge in life. And now, you know, and by the grace of God, I was able to make it through. And now I get to, to hopefully inspire others to facilitate change because it wasn't supposed to happen to a guy like me, but you know, I was, um, I was restless, irritable, and discontent from as, as little as I can remember. Like, I just remember feeling very uncomfortable and I didn't know how to like tell my mom at like five, like, Hey, like I'm, I'm having some anxiety. Can yeah. Chat? Like, <clears throat> and you know, this is you know, the late eighties, this wasn't acceptable. Is it, is it right? Anxiety <laughs> wasn't a thing then really. Yeah. Like even, you know, through the nineties, but you know, I was chubby and overweight as about a 12 or 13 year old. And that's, um, that was a really hard time in my life. And, and, um, you know, I remember I was over at a friend's house and they pulled out some liquor oh. and I remember thinking, that's bad. That's bad. We can't do that. We're stealing from your mom and then everyone else is doing. Yeah. So I drank it. It was awful. Hated the taste. And about 20 minutes later, I was like, this shit is the best because it, it, it would, it be, it was, it made me feel comfortable, like whole, like I didn't feel so on edge and anxious and uncomfortable. And, and then I realized, you know, when I got drunk, I started, um, I started like doing the Matt Foley, um, band down by the river, Chris Farley skid off Saturday night live. And yeah. all my friends started laughing with me mm-hmm. instead of at me. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. I was like, all right, this works. So that's where I found humor. you're getting positive problem. feedback for your behavior under the influence. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it worked. So, <clears throat> so that continued. And, um, and then I found fitness about 14 or 15, 15 years old and I was sick of being the fat kid. And I fell in love with it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I bought all these stupid magazines. I followed everything out of there. I'm sure I was eating bikini girls. I remember like one of them, I was eating like four egg whites and a half a grapefruit for breakfast. I'm sure that was not much for a 15 year old, but and, um, and it worked though. I lost too much weight. Then I was teased about being too skinny mm. during this time. I realized that alcohol was really bad for building muscles. So as I got into high school and I got a car, I went to the gym and I, I fell in love with the gym. I fell in love. It's been hours there. I'd pick all, I'd go up to these guys and be like, what's that exercise? What's that? I was so annoying, but they were so nice. Most of them. And I stopped drinking cold Turkey because I was so into this. I just wanted to build muscle. And I did, I transformed my body from my sophomore to junior year. Uh, to the point where I came back and people didn't even recognize me. It was, um, and, and I loved it, 
but I still was not like it, I was more comfortable than the fat kid, but I still was like, ah, I thought this would kind of be it. And, um, you know, in high school, I was offered some pain pills at a party. I just, this is how naive I was. I distinctly remember saying, oh, I'm not in pain. I'm good. And they said, no, it'll make you feel like you're drunk, but you can still go to the gym tomorrow. You won't have a hangover. Mm. So I was like done. So I took them and I still remember where I was at. Remember I was at this, this house. I remember the cabinets. It was this shitty house party with those red cups everywhere. Right. I remember that kitchen. Like I don't remember shit from high school. And I remember right. that moment. Yep. I remember when they hit me, I thought like, this is the feeling I want the rest of my life. Like mm -hmm. I was in love and, um, and I don't say that lightly. Like I was enthralled with this yep, you were and, um, it was not normal from the get after that point. Like I, it just, I was like, we got to get more of these. My buddy said, Hey, we, oh, well, I took them from my mom. We, we can't do that. So I just said, cool. What are you doing tomorrow? I went over his house and then I went to his mom's cabin and stole him. Like that is not normal behavior. Like the very right. next day you're stealing your, your, your friend's mom's pills. And, um, and it continued and it got, it got pretty bad. Um, you know, but, uh, things were manageable. And, um, I, I started taking trips down to Tijuana, Mexico, um, which is about 14 hour drive from here. And cause I learned you go to the pharmacias and you, um, you take your door panels off and, and yeah, you shove all the narcotics in there, everything from uh, opiates to muscle relaxers to steroids. Um, and, and then I put the door panels back on drive through the border. Nothing happened. I didn't realize the amount of federal felonies I was committing, but what happened during this time was I, that's when my entrepreneurship began. I started selling drugs to all the high school kids and I had this constant flow of supply and I never got like too crazy on it, but I started using them daily towards the end of my senior year and, you know, still graduated high school barely, but, um, it was during that point that, uh, I developed a habit and didn't even really mean to. Yeah. So high school ended and uh people had gotten in trouble somebody kid had got stuck in a mexican prison doing the same thing i was doing and i was like i'm too pretty for prison so um and i just thought you know what i'm not going down there again it's time to grow up um you know it's time to kind of move on so when the stash is out i'll be done i had heard about withdrawals i just didn't really think I was a drug addict because like, you know, I didn't look like one. I was pretty jacked. I had a bunch of money. Yeah. And when those ran out, the withdrawals hit and it was, I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. It was so gnarly and, um, you know, ended up at the wrong place, wrong time with, uh, my, my friend's older brother who was a heroin addict and there was some heroin there. And I remember thinking he, he said, oh, well, I'll give you some heroin. And I thought that's a line in the sand I'd drawn. I'm like, that's yeah. nope. And about 20 minutes later, I remember looking at him thinking, well, will make me feel better. He said instantly. So um, I shot up heroin for the first time um, as an 18 year old. And um, I remember after I did it, that guy looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, kid, your life's never going to be the same. Mm. And uh, I still remember him saying that. And it wasn't, you know, um, I just don't I've never met super successful long term heroin addicts just like, well, I'm a CEO. Right. I got a beautiful family at home and they all love me. My kid just calls me pet name. Like, no, it's destructive. And it doesn't right. care if you're rich, white, black, right. Poor. It doesn't discriminate. No, it took over. And, um, the accessibility was there. It was, um, it was cheap. And, um, and I got addicted and ended up in my first treatment center at 20 years old. And when I went to treatment, I remember thinking, okay, I'll play by your rules. I probably shouldn't do heroin, but I'm not going to quit drinking. Like I'm not an alcoholic. So that's uh, the mindset I went in with. And, um, 
when I got out of rehab, I celebrated by getting drunk and I said, Oh, I'm still sober. This is amazing. And, and nothing bad happened. So I was like, cool, I guess I can just drink and this will be fine. But you know, I still want to make gains. I learned a little more that alcohol wasn't going to just totally wreck me, but you got to yeah. do it in moderation. Well, after I, I kept drinking and then I blacked out within a week and I'd never blacked out before. And it was at that time I was like, oh, maybe you just have a problem with all things. And I was like, oh, I don't want to kind of. Con- you aren't ready to, to face to that. that quite yet. And, um, you know, during this time I got really dark. So basically from just to sum up from 2000. So that was 2005. And what happened was is shortly after in 2006. So the alcohol led me back to what I loved, which was heroin. Eventually it always did. And so I'd get back strung out and, um, and it would, it would go in these patterns where I'd go three or four months of a gnarly binge. I'm talking just like gnarly. And then something would intervene. Usually my parents at that point, sending me to detox, sending me to a cush rehab, or I started getting arrested, which if you get a, if you get caught, you know, and you're not ready to quit, it's a problem because they're on probation, they're drug testing. And so I got caught up in the system is what they call it. Gotcha. And, and, um, so I'd go on these runs, but then, so then I was usually had probation in my head. So like maybe even the cops would intervene, take me to jail and, you know, I'd go to a rehab. And so these, these patterns continued and it was, um, every time I'd, I would get sober and then relapse, it would get worse. And that's what they told me was like, it gets worse, never better. Like it just like, you just pick up right where you left off. And, um, I was looking for this magical way just to like somehow manage my my heroin use and smoke crack like a gentleman like it just doesn't happen like you're trying to justify it in your head yeah that's i was so bad wanted to find like oh if i just do this or and every time it would take over um and so this continued and um 17 bookings in the county jail later i went to a four or five different rehabs and it was just destruction. You know, the addict is a tornado going through everyone's lives. And we're in the middle, like, what's the problem, right? And it's mm-hmm. just destructing family members along the way. And um, and so it got, um, I finally, I did a year in jail in 2011 to 2012. I'd finally, like the judge had had it. I'd violated probation so many times. They stuck me in there for a year. So I did a year in jail. And in that time, I thought, this is it for me. Like, I'm ready to get back in the fitness industry. I'm done with this. But what happened was I I was mistaking being sober with being in recovery, meaning being in recovery to me is an evolution of change continuously, right? I wasn't changing. Mm. I was the same dude. I was was selling pills in there. I was getting in fights. I just wasn't using drugs because there was none available, really. And, um, when I got out, I thought this is the time I'm going to stay sober. And my parents, um, were done at this point. They were like, okay, but they were really optimistic, but they said, we have to put boundaries up. They said, you know, they'd gone to all these family programs and they said, if you use again, we can't have you around. Like we have to cut you out of our lives. And I was like, oh yeah, don't even worry about it. I'm not going to use again. I made it three days out of jail before that craving came back. And I remember it hit me and like, you know, when like you're nervous and you feel like you gotta take a shit, like it hit me and I'm like, Oh, and I picked up the phone and called the old dealer thinking there's no way this guy has the same number. They never keep the same number. And, um, and he, he picked up 
and he told me to come down and meet him. And the whole time I'm going down there to meet him, I'm doing what they taught me in rehab, which is like you play the tape through, right? You play it through going, once I start, you have a really shitty ability to stop. It's never just one day. I would go tell, tell all, all the wheels have fallen off. And I played it all the way through and I still went. I was crying on the way down knowing that this time was not going to be different. It was going to be the exact same. They say that insanity is doing the same things over and over, expecting a different result. And in that moment, I got a different perspective of insanity. Insanity is doing something horrible, knowing what it's going to end up and still doing it. It was this total paradox in my head of like, wow, you're still going to go do this, knowing that this is not going to end well for you. And, um, and I got high and I didn't draw another sober breath from January 27th to 2012 till my sobriety date of November 20th. And I say that because like I said before, I would go on three or four month gnarly binges. Then, you know, something would step in, but I had terminated my probation. So the cops were hanging over my head and my parents, they stuck to their word mm-hmm. and they cut me off. You know, and you and, went and from you keep- January to November. Yes. And wow. it got dark. It was I was homeless the whole year and, um, I was very resourceful. I, I only slept in the streets once, um, by choice because I was so paranoid. I thought that the DA was after me, but, um, I was, you know, I'd find these, these awful hotels or, um, motels or, you know, these, these trap houses that shouldn't like where they sell drugs out of. And, um, the whole year I went homeless and, and, you know, my fitness went to the wayside. I lost 40 pounds and, um, track marks all up and down my arm had got into methamphetamine at that time too. Um, which led me to some dark people, dark, mm-hmm. like I didn't, I didn't know there was some darkness out there and it was, um, I'd succumb at that point that this is you, you're not going to make it to your 30th birthday. Quit trying to pretend like you're going to get sober. Cause I would always be using that be like, like I still had that thing inside of me that was like, God, like you don't you know, supposed to be living this way. You got to get right. sober. Okay. I'm gonna get sober tomorrow. This time I was like, fuck it. Pardon my language. I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm just yeah. going to go like, and I'll, I'll probably die. And I'm just okay with that. My family won't talk to me. And so that's, that was my plan. I was just like, I'm just going to be a junkie. This is what I'm going to quit trying to pretend to get sober. Um, you know, because I, I tried so many times and I'd get sober for a minute and then relapse. And so I didn't even think about getting sober this time. I just went, I just went. And every day um, was just Groundhog's Day hustling and, and scamming and doing whatever I had to do to, to get money. If you don't have a job and you have a hundred dollar a day heroin habit, I'm still looking back. I'm like, how did I do that? You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. legal. That's for sure. And so um, the um, it got, it got dark and it got cold come November. And I remember I was sitting there and, and I've told the story a million times, but this was the turning point for me. You know, I destructed everything. I think I had, you know, I was gl- that years from 2003 really until 2012. I mean, countless jail stays, countless rehabs. Um, I overdosed five times, was in a medically induced coma for three days after an overdose. And I, I got out of the hospital and went and got high. Like it's insanity. Right. Um, and abscesses in my arms, the whole works. And so it, uh, November 15th, my mom called me and said, Hey, your grandfather passed away. And, um, I was super bummed. And she said, I'd really like it the funeral. And I said, yeah, I want to go. I was committed to going. And she said, Brad, just do me one favor. Just, just make sure you're, you're okay. And yeah. 
I knew what that meant. I mean, not too high that I'm drooling on myself and not withdrawing because she'd seen mm -hmm. me through the withdrawals. Yeah. And of course, I was actually trying, but I couldn't make the drugs last long enough and I ran out. So that morning I thought, okay, I can either dog out or I can show up. And I was like, you can plow through. I can plow through and then I'll get some drugs when I get home. But the withdrawals hit and they were pretty gnarly. So my mother picked me up and I was trying to make it, but I'm shaking and I'm shivering and I end up throwing up in her car. And she's like crying. She's like, we can't do this. What do you, what do we have to do? And I said, you know what we have to do? So I make my little religious mother drive me to the drug dealers. When we get there, I make her give me 20 bucks just to add insult to injury. By this point, we'd backtracked so much. Um, we're going to be late to the funeral. So I get in her car and I said, you need to stop at like a bathroom so I can do this. And she was like, we're going to be so late. I'm so mad at you. Just get in the back seat. Do whatever you have to do. So I get in the back seat of her car and we're driving up the highway. And um, and I, I pull out my spoon and my syringe and it's this whole junky thing. And, and I cook up the heroin and I'm trying to find a vein and I keep catching her looking at me in the rearview mirror i look away and then i look up and she's just she wasn't even looking at the road i don't know how we didn't crash and she's just crying like and it wasn't sobbing or yup yups it was just this constant flow of tears she wasn't even trying to wipe them off see my mom knew i was a heroin addict but she had never watched me use yeah she witnessed it she witnessed the blood and the, the it's just a it's not pretty like right and cocaine like it's it's blood and needles and, and tourniquets. And I did it. And I remember, of course, instantly. Well, and then she's also the one that drove you there and the one that gave you money and through this. So I'm sure that's eating at her too. Oh yeah. Just, there was uh, just a whole mess of emotions going on. I'm sure, you know, and she told me later, you know, once I've been sober that she was terrified that like, what if this was the shot that killed me? Right. Oh yeah. And, um, so I do it. And of course I immediately feel, they call it well, like I feel better. I feel normal, essentially like I'm high, but I'm not withdrawing. And it's, it's a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. And, um, usually that would numb me enough that I would be like, what, what's the big deal up there? Why are you crying? Like, it's all good, but I couldn't, I it, the drugs, it didn't work to numb the pain. Mm -hmm. I looked up and I saw her crying and she just shook her head. She didn't say a word to me the whole drive. And I sat back there high, but still just in so much pain. And I thought you got two choices, man. You need to kill yourself or you need to finally get and stay sober. Going on another day like I was, was not an option. It was the ultimate act of selfishness that I put my mother through. And, um, you know, that was the first time that I prayed. If there was a God out there, like to just intervene, do something, help me, help me. Like, I can't stop. I cannot stop on my own. And, um, that night I was, uh, God, God came in and, uh, I was, I was arrested in a stolen car that to this day, I did not know was stolen. The guy asked me to drive. I don't even remember this kid's name. He asked me to drive it. Now I, I figured out why, cause it was stolen. Right. And we were pulled over going to get drugs. And I remember when those lights went off, it was this moment of surrender, like it's over. And I, 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 I was so grateful, even though I knew I was about to go through the w worst withdrawals of my life. Mm -hmm. The cop came up and he was like, do you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, apparently the car is stolen. I don't have a license and I'm strung out on heroin. I need to go to jail. <laughs> I remember for this guy's face was like, um, okay, well you got the, okay. Yeah. Let's have you step out of the car. Do you have any drugs on you? I'm like, no, I never do because I run out of them all the time. I need to go to jail. And, um, 
So this guy took me to jail and I remember I called my mom and I was chuckling and she was like, I'm not bailing you out. And I said, no, mom, I said, I'm done. This was God came in and she's like, you're, you're out of your mind. You that's what's happening. And it was this moment of surrender that I, I can't explain other than the fact that I was like, okay, let's go through this. And so, um, I withdrawed the worst withdrawals of my life. And, um, and I only did, um, a month in jail, but as I laid there on the cement in my own vomit, I remember just, I just kept saying, this is the last time you have to do this. This is the last time you have to do this. And I believed that my grandfather gave me some kind of strength. Something pulled me through that. And, um, and I got out of jail after just a month and, and, um, and it's where my journey began. Normally, um, I would go to the drug dealers or I'd go with my friends that did drugs and I called my mom and she said, well, you're not coming here, but I'll drop you off at a recovery meeting, like an A meeting. So she dropped me off and, um, and I went to that meeting and everyone piled out of the meeting after, and it's December 20th at this point in Utah, there's snow, it's snowing that night. I'm freezing out there. I have no jacket cause I have no clothes. I have, I have one pair of clothes mm-hmm. and it's just a t-shirt and I'm shivering. And this guy said, do you need a ride home? And I said, I do. And he said, where do you live? And I said, I don't have a place. And this guy took a deep breath and he was like. I'll let you stay on my couch, but if you steal from me, I'll kick your ass. Are we clear? I'm like, fair enough. So this guy let me stay on his couch and he told me I got to go find a job. So I went and found a job waiting tables the next day. And, um, and that's where it began was just like one little bit of a time, but I did everything opposite that I'd done before and no shit. It finally worked. Like I took direction from people who had been sober, been as low as I had, and they gotten to where they're at today. And I finally just started doing all the things they taught me in rehab. I started to finally like implement them. I went to a ton of, of recovery meetings. I played on every stupid sober softball team because they told me to. I didn't fucking want to. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to hang out with you guys. You finally did. chose to surrender. Yep. And it was, uh, and it was one little chip at a time. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. And so that was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always reminiscent this time to think back and um and it wasn't easy at first. Like my first 90 days were awful. I mean, you know, I'm I'm I had to find a room to rent and I uh had to do things like take the bus that was super humbling. And my first yeah. car was a two-door car that was really a one-door because the passenger side was like welded shut. It was the five hundred dollar car. So I'm hanging out with girls. I'm like, you just gotta hop through the driver's side there, just kind of <laughs> yep, just hop over. And then I had no radio. I just play my phone and I was so grateful for that car, you know, and, yeah. um, and I worked my way back up. And when I found out at 505 credit score, I was like, oh, that sounds like a good number. <laughs> Is that high or low? And they're like, so that's awful. <laughs> and I said, you know, all these payday loans you, you would take out for $200 to get high when you don't pay them, they turn into $3,000. I had like five of those. Oh, wow. Countless hospital bills for all my overdoses. And, um, and it was overwhelming. And today, like, I think, you know, one of the cooler things that's happened is I never thought I would get out of this debt with the IRS, with, with, um, hospital bills. And today, like, I'm fine. Like credit standing is, is excellent. And it took a lot of time and a lot of money to get to, to get to that point. And so, um, I am proud of that because I never thought I, I, it seemed insurmountable, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that is the the mountain a lot of times that, you know, and, and that brings me back to your, your post, how you, you know, shared that little glimpse of where you were, but people look at this big mountain and think they have to climb that in, I don't know, 
six, eight, 12 weeks. But like you said, you just chipped away. You just did the next right thing each and every single day. That's exactly it. Just the next right thing. And sometimes I didn't even know Amanda what the next right thing is, but I sure as shit knew what the next wrong thing was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I just didn't do that. And, um, and it did seem insurmountable and, you know, getting back in the gym was a huge part of it, but I let it be this additional component, not the, not the, it was the icing, not the cake this time. Yeah. Um, where I put a ton into my, but you know, and, uh, but I, I really, really, um, just follow direction. And this one day at a time doesn't just apply to recovery to my clients. You know, it's yeah. hard when I get the clients that have like a hundred pounds to lose. And it seems like, how the hell am I ever going to get there? And I'm like, I get it, girl. Like mm-hmm. I've been there. I like, how am I ever going to, okay, so maybe I can stay sober, but I'm just going to declare bankruptcy or I can't, I'm never going to be able to do this or I'm a convicted felon. So I was under the impression I like couldn't get a passport. Turns out I could, they just didn't want me to own a gun. I was like, okay, whatever. And today I, um, I was able to get a 402 reduction on my, so even though I'm a convicted felon, I can still basically do anything anybody else can now today. I can own a gun. I can it's do amazing. whatever. And, um, it seems so, so scary. And it was the same shit when I started a business, right? I mm-hmm. didn't know what the hell I was doing. My only business sense came from watching shark tank and following Gary Vaynerchuk, which that's not like a business plan. Right. But I remember, you know, my, <laughs> my ex-wife, I came home super frustrated when I started key. Um, I had, uh, I'd spent a lot of money on stupid shit that I didn't need to. Um, I was not going to be able to take home any money that month. It's like the first three months. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking I'm supposed to be super profitable. And I've, as I've learned, like starting a business, sometimes you start in the red and you got to work your way out. Mm-hmm. And I remember I just thinking I was going to give up. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And she said, well, you beat heroin. And most people can't say they've done that. Like you, you beat the odds there. I think you can do this. And it was like, I pulled from that. You know, I used all the tenacity that I used to get high every single day when you don't have a job and you, I was determined every single morning to go hustle and do whatever I had to do. That's why I got grit tattooed on my knuckles, like a degenerate. But a couple, about a year ago, I got grace tattooed on these ones because I'm all about the grit, but I got too gritty and forgot to give myself some grace sometimes. Mm, You know, my son, as I referenced earlier, has been amazing at allowing me space to give myself more grace. And, um, it's been beautiful. So, you know, and my kid one day at a time never has to see his dad like that. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I wonder why, you know, I met a lot of people out there that were, that were good people that got strung out and I met some bad people, Yeah, genuinely some, some evil people, but I met a lot of good people that were like me just, just got, just got, just mm-hmm. got out outside the box and, and hooked on drugs and and they had kids. And I remember just the pain in their eyes of not being there for their kid because it doesn't matter. Like, and I used to judge them. I was like, I bet if I had a kid, I'd stop. And I look back and I'm like, it wouldn't have been enough. Like it, it would, I, I, I saw these people, this pain, but they were so hooked that like, they just weren't allowed to see their kids and they just were trying to act like that was okay. But, um, I'm so grateful I didn't have one because I don't know if I'd be around today because I might have like ended my life because that's so. It would just add in one more layer of complication. Yeah. Yeah, And guilt. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What was that? What was that first day back to the gym? I'm just curious that that question kind of went through my head when you were talking about that. What was that day one back to the gym for you? (sighs) Humbling. I mean, I hadn't been in. Uh, when you're homeless, like you're not really also have a gym membership. I should have got right. one. I could have showered. Could have showered but, there. Uh, 
<laughs> I didn't have a bank account. That was a problem. Um, so it was, uh, it was humbling, you know? So when I got sober, um, I was, uh, you know, my normal weights about, you know, like I'm like 215, 220 right now, but, um, I had, I was probably like 210 back in the day and I, and I lost, I got down when I got sober, I was 179 jet black hair. Um, I don't know what the hell I was thinking because my eyebrows are blonde, but whatever. Um, and I, uh, I put on between jail the first, I didn't go to the gym for, so I went, I spent the first month in jail. And then the <laughs> second month I was just trying to work to get a life back. But in that time, in basically 40 days, almost I counted, I put on 40 pounds. Wow. Now, probably the first 25 needed to come back. I was so yeah. depleted. My, my diet for a year consisted of a jumbo twist donut and a Slurpee. Generally I'd go to the seven 11 when they were guy was going to throw them out and he'd give it to me. Like, and I would trick myself. Like I'm not really homeless. I'm like, so that's what homeless people do. They go in when you're throwing out the food. Um, and so when I came back, um, I gained, and the first 20 pounds are probably good. The next 20, I just gained a shit ton of fat because as we know about metabolic adaptation, when right. I wasn't eating, Mm -hmm. at all. I'd slowed down my metabolism so much right. that when I started eating and I found comfort in things like sugar, I was like, oh yeah, eating food's fun. And I started eating a bunch of food and I didn't have a ton of money. So even though I knew better, I would, I was humbled. I, I was like, I gotta do whatever I got to do to stay sober. So I'd buy top ramen and shit. Like I knew better, but I literally had no money and my parents wouldn't talk to me for the first six months. They made me get six months before they'd start being involved because they didn't trust me. I'd yeah. stolen from them. I'd forge their checks. I'd, you know, domestic shit like like it just was ugly and so um it was humbling i went back and i remember thinking okay you're kind of fat and you're really weak this is not a good combo and i remember i stood on one of those embodies which i mean whatever you know but on your I, first I day oh yeah the first day i just oh. wanted to torment myself and i was like okay i think it was 10 percent last time i did this Let's see what i'm at and it was like 27 percent so it was humbling and i was so sore so yeah. sore and i just fell in love with it again and i started really small and and just worked my way up and um and it was a huge component of me getting back um my life it was kind of my you know but i never put it before my recovery like it was Good. i made sure that like you you don't get to choose this over going to a meeting or meeting with your sponsor who's like a sober mentor you know i do it in addition and um but it was yeah. uh, it was but i also loved it like because i knew i was finally like challenging myself again and so yeah it was humbling to say the least so i just can't help but wonder just like the sense of gratitude that you have every day um and i was talking to sean about this just because i was you know obviously I stalk my people that I interview a little bit online because obviously I want to know about you before I'm interviewing you for the podcast, but just looking through your coaches and your business and, um, you know, as a new fellow nutrition coach, it's like, I can impact one person at a time. Right. And, uh, and I get really passionate about that, but it's like, if you hadn't, uh, you know, nine years ago chosen this path, I mean, just look at this impact you would not have made, not only with the clients that you have touched, but, but also with the coaches that you have given an opportunity to and the people that they are touching. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable what one individual can do by making one right next decision. 
It's crazy. I never, ever would have thought the ripple effect. I mean, I didn't think I was capable of it, nor did I think that I certainly deserved it or could ever do it um, because the best prediction of future behaviors, your past, and it was like so shitty. Like, I was just like, well, and you're right. I, it was, and that's why I tell people, like, you just never know. Like, I went right and so instead of left, so to speak, out of that jail when I walked mm-hmm. that day. Meaning I, I went right and I went to this gas station that's right down from the, you walk down this big hill here in Salt Lake and, and it's freezing. Right. And I called my mom and I knew that she was going to be like, I thought she gonna tell me she wouldn't come get me, but she said she'd come get me. And it was, it's funny looking back. I remember thinking, holy shit, you might do something different with your life. Like that was really hard to call my mom. Cause the last time I'd saw her, she basically told me like, I can't ever see you again until you get sober because yeah. that was heartbreaking. And, um, and it was, it was this moment of gratitude that like, Holy shit, I'm doing something just a little different. Wow. Like I wouldn't even give myself a chance. Usually I'd get out of jail and call my dope friends and I was high within 20 minutes. And it's like, dude, well, it's not like, it's not like you had a better opportunity this time. If anything, it was, it was like the odds were worse. Right. Yeah. And it did suck. It sucked. It sucked those first 90 days. And then it got a little better and a little better. And um, people would say to me, you know, I, oh, wow, nine years, it just must be a daily battle. And I was like, hell no, if it was a daily battle, I wouldn't be here today. Like, yeah, it, it was probably about nine months sober that I remember I'd done a lot of work. I'd worked through these things called the 12 steps. And mm-hmm. um, I, that the obsession had been lifted. Like, mm-hmm. I have not had many moments and one was just recently where I slacked on my program and, uh, and ended up in a Mexican pharmacy and was tempted to use and even bought Mm -hmm. the, bought the Xanax. And it was this whole Mm -hmm. ordeal. And I cried and, um, you know, and I didn't use, and I'm grateful for that. But, um, today, if I do a few simple things, just like, it's like when you get to a point with your physique, right? It's like, we don't have to work nearly as hard to maintain it. First off, it's just ingrained as a lifestyle, but it's like today, what I have to do sober, I do a lot of the same shit I did when I got sober, just not maybe as intense. Like I still am involved in meetings. I just don't go to a meeting. It's like, it's like when you're dieting, you're just eating less calories. So it's more intense, you know, mm-hmm. but then when you're at maintenance, you're still doing all the same habits. It's just not maybe as laser focused or as much intent or time, but, um, yeah, I'm super grateful for the ripple effect. And I'm grateful that this happened really slow because I needed it too. I needed like one little yeah. chip at a time and then to find like these little moments of gratitude. And it, I do preach gratitude a lot because I believe it's the antidote to life. And I do have a lot to be grateful for, but we all do. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, and I can't help but think of how mirrored everything is. I mean, from recovery, doing all the little things, making sure you're on top of all the little things to help you continue. Uh, But it's also that way in our fitness lives. I know for me, I struggle with anxiety. If I'm not um, doing all the things for my mental health, my physical health, I will have the heart palpitations and all those things. And, um, you know, that's just something I know about myself. And so I have to do the work, but then also in business, it's reflective as well. I mean, if we're not doing the little things and it doesn't have to be anything dramatic, right? I think so often we think it has to be this huge elaborate, um, step to move us forward. And and it's really the people that take the little actionable items every single day, the chipping away that ultimately creates the success. Yeah. I agree so much.
And, and it's, I just think we, we as human beings are just so we're capable of, I think the vast majority of us, and I still think this today are capable of so much more than we ever give ourselves credit for. Right. hundred percent. Like the human, human spirit is just resilient. And, and for me, I talked a lot about God on here. Some people that makes uncomfortable when I talk about God, it's just a God of my own understanding. And like, there is a Supreme being out there. Like, you know, there's, when I, when I look, you know, at the sunrises, I'm getting these amazing views of where I live now. I'm like, there's something so much more powerful than me out there that's guiding this, you know? And if I just do a little work to channel into that, I'm just a better dude. And, um, and my life goes better. Well, and do you think that, cause I, I noticed I listened to your story and the one thing that seemed to make the main difference was that you mentioned God in your recovery on that November 20th day. Was that, was that the difference? Was your faith the difference? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, like I had kind of said, you know, God doesn't care about me. If he did, he wouldn't have, he would, he would have made me not a drug addict. Like, like I had no free agency in this. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, you know, I'm acting like I had cancer or something, right? Like, yes, I, I, once I picked up, I, I seemed like I was mentally and bodily different from my peers. Like it just mm -hmm. wasn't normal. And right. I think that's what separates somebody who uses drugs and who's a drug addict. But I, um, yeah, I, I started praying, I, you know, probably about a week before I finally got sober. I'm just like, there's something out there. I was, I was hanging out with some people that did some gnarly shit. Um, and, um, there was a girl that was murdered. Um, I was with the whole group of, it was just an, uh, like, I didn't have anything to do with it, but like, right. I was, I had like saw I've, like this girl was kidnapped and I like was with these guys and it was this, I mean, I actually had to like work through this in therapy. It was very traumatic. What I saw yeah. them do to this girl over a small drug debt and I split from them. And a couple of days later, this girl ends up dead. And I remember thinking, dude, that's going to be you. If the drugs don't take you. Salt Lake's not the most hardcore place. It's not South side of Chicago, but drugs make people yeah. evil shit. Yeah. And so I just reached out and I was, I think my first prayer was like, dude, I don't even know if you even know who I am or you care about me, but I can't keep living like this. Like, and so I do think it was, it was reaching out and just saying like, I said, just help me stop, help me stop. And then when those lights went on, I immediately knew that that was an answer to my prayers, which sounds so weird, but I was not going to stop on my own. I tried to go to the public detoxes, but the problem with those is you can leave whenever you want. So I'd check in for about six hours and then I'd be like, ah, I think I overreacted. There's, I'm going to go ahead. and." There's no accountability I did that like three or four yeah. times. Yeah. The last time they were like, dude, we can't take you. Keep leaving. I'm like, well, I don't really want to get sober. I don't think. Yeah. You weren't ready. Yeah. My, I was, you know, something's out there that this can't be just what I was destined for. And yeah. now today, like where I'm at, it's, I know it wasn't, and it's, it's, I'm so grateful. People had asked me, do I regret it? Even four or five years ago, even four years into my sobriety, I would have said, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have gone through this. That sucked. Like, you know, I got sober and my friends from high school were making 250 K a year with the white picket fence house. And I'm like, I got a garbage bag with clothes in it. Like, that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. And, and it sucked. And I always felt like I got started too late. And this is the story I told myself, but today after starting a business and pulling off that experience, now being able to help so many other people with my experience, I am so grateful. I wouldn't change a single moment of any of it because it's molded me into who I am today. Well, you have the, I mean, honestly, an ultimate story of refinement. 
Um, and I mean, you've obviously touched countless lives because of it. Um, not just that, but with, with your nutrition and your business and, you know, your coaches and just everything that you've done and not to mention, I mean, you, you have a kick-ass personality. You're a super fun human being. You really are. You're somebody that, you know, anybody can kick back with and super down to earth and, um, you know, not everybody, not everybody is like that. So, um, I really appreciate really appreciate uh, that. I'd love to kind of have you explain a little bit about your offerings and your programs and, and kind of to the audience and kind of just share a little bit about your business, I guess, real quick. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I got a podcast called the key nutrition podcast, which has been, um, has been one of the, the, uh, the more gratifying things that started three years ago is just kind of like, let's throw this little thing together. You know, Jason actually encouraged me to do it. He's like, yeah. we'll start a podcast. Um, and now it's turned into um, a huge part of my business. We just crossed over 300 episodes and, you know, a million downloads on you know, a few months back. And, um, it's been, uh, it's been really cool. So the key nutrition podcast, you can follow me over there, but the, uh, you know, what I'm really passionate about is I started a, a group coaching course called the next level experience. And so we do that every quarter. And what that is, is essentially the story you just heard is, People kept asking me, well, how did you get and change your life? Like I'd have clients ask me this. And so it's basically a really deep dive into, um, it's, it's 10 weeks long and every week is focused on a different. So we got a mental week, an emotional week, a relationship week, uh, an abundance week, um, you know, a spiritual week, um, so on and so forth. And we, it's a small community setting where people get really raw and real and vulnerable. And I have a couple of partners in there. Um, my friend, Kevin certified through the heart math Institute, which kind of talks about the brain and heart connection. And we do this, um, you know, breath work in there. And then his wife, Alti does energy work, which I thought was totally woo woo tell, um, tell she did some on me. And so she compliments and does some energy work on people along the way to clear out some of these negative self-limiting beliefs. And, um, that's been really gratifying. So that's just my next level experience.com. Um, I can shoot that over to you guys, but the next yeah. one launches in January, my coaching, I have a waiting list. Um, I might open up a few spots in January. My coaches are phenomenal. Um, and you know, we try to, you know, that's just all things, nutrition and fitness coaching. If you're looking for more of a deep dive into really leveling up in all these areas, it's very intense. It's an intense, intimate and interactive program. And so, um, yeah, that's what I'm passionate about right now. would love for you guys to check it out. Yeah, you Sweet. bet. I'll definitely link all of that in our show notes for you. Um, yeah, I've definitely listened to your podcast and it's an absolute blast. I love listening to it. Um, just cause of Michelle, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Not just, but she is pretty awesome. Michelle loves you. So. <laughs> well, I love Michelle. She's the best. Yeah, you guys are great people. I appreciate you guys. And and uh, I've always felt a, a good good connection with you guys. You know, it's funny when you're sitting in those big rooms, right? I mean, I'd be lying to you if I'm just like, I just connected and loved everybody. There's plenty of people where I have nothing against them. I just didn't connect with. And right. There was probably about a dozen people that really connected with and felt the bond and you two were two of those people. So my love for you guys. Yeah. Well, thank you. I can definitely say the same for you as well. And and I agree there, there's a lot of amazing individuals, but yeah, there's certain ones that you just, you just connect with or vibe with on a different level. So appreciate yeah. you appreciate your time and, and uh, you sharing your, you know, your experience and your story. You certainly have a, an amazing story and, and I can't wait to get it out. So thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
If you like this episode, please be sure to tune in every single Tuesday morning. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on your notifications so you don't miss a beat. We'd love it if you'd share this podcast, your Instagram story, Facebook page, or any of your other social media platforms so that we can help others out there become the best versions of themselves. We so appreciate you listening in and until next time, keep your goals high, but keep each step attainable. Oh,